Welcome to the It's Going to Be Good podcast sponsored by Accrue. This is the place where Jill and I talk about how to build your accounting firm in a way that is healthy and sustainable so that you can focus on doing meaningful work with exceptional people. And Jill, you want to talk about our topic for today? Because I think this one is definitely near and dear to your heart, especially. Yes. Today we will be talking about leaders not managers. So it, it they are not the same thing. And as the first manager who is not the CEO and founder of a crew, I will say this is near and dear to my heart. It is the thing that has allowed me, well, it has allowed a crew to grow and it has allowed me to be freed up to do a lot different kinds of work. And so I, yeah, I really love this topic. Um, and I think it's it's an interesting idea because I think the assumption, particularly in accounting, is that in order to grow, in order to advance in your career, you must be a manager. And we just don't believe that. We believe that people are capable of much more than that. And we don't believe that management is the only opportunity that should be presented for people to grow and to lead. So we have decided we're going to think differently about it. So leaders do not have to be managers. It is not the same thing. It is not they're not inextricable necessarily. I think managers must be able to lead, but leaders do not have to be able to manage. And I think one of the things that we get caught up in, particularly in a highly technical field like accounting, is that in order to advance, you must take on the responsibility of managing other people. And we just have found that most technicians, most accountants, most bookkeepers don't really want to do that. And the only people who do are the ones who want to advance their career or the ones who really love it, but that's a unicorn. (laughs) So when, when I was brought in, I'm not a technician, I'm not an accountant, but I was brought in to manage on purpose because it is a different skill set. And so thinking about our team, thinking about the kinds of people we hire, we're not going to hire a lot more me's at our company. (laughs) We're going to hire some more, but we're not going to hire a lot more me's. We're going to hire many more technicians than than non-technicians. And so the opportunities for leadership start to kind of dwindle. And then it gets really um, light at the top of a company. It gets really like there's only a couple people up there. And then the bigger your firm gets, the more people you're responsible for in management and the less people actually want to do that job <laughs> because it looks terrible when you have that many people. Um, so when you get to a certain size and you just literally cannot grow anymore without more managers, you have to either hire managers and find those unicorns that are who want to, who are good at, and who can do that kind of management work and are technicians, or you have to think outside the box. And I think you've done a really good job of this in casting vision for leadership at a crew. Um, so instead of hiring unicorns that we couldn't find, we've tried. And probably couldn't <laughs> afford. And probably couldn't <laughs> afford. Yeah. Frankly, a, a firm at our size or at, at many different sizes, like even in our range, couldn't afford what we're looking for. And so it just, it wasn't functional to keep like crossing our fingers and hoping this magical person would come along. So we just needed to do it differently. So we came up with some different tiers of leadership instead of management. 
Anna, I'd love to hear from you. One of the key areas that this happened was in lead bookkeepers. So we started with lead bookkeepers, which is an ambiguous title universally, but internally we use it as the term for the people on our team who review the technical work, who take notes of what needs to be either corrected and fixed or adjusted or questions that need to be asked that haven't already been asked. And they're doing that kind of QA review work. But then on top of that, your vision for this was a little bit more than just QA. So how did you come up with the idea of lead bookkeepers being leaders instead of, and not just managers, but like instead of even like technical, the focus is not on the technical work, it is on the people. So how did you do that? (laughs) Yeah, well, I think because I started as a technician And then the first thing I handed off as we started to grow was the technical work. And then I would review it uh, because I'm OCD and I wanted it all to be done the right way, which is my way. Uh, (laughs) uh, That's that's not true. But uh, what we've now come to call the accrue way, which is is broader than just Anna's way, which is great. And so I I was in if filling that role as we grew in and just having bookkeepers. And then I that even got to where I did not have the capacity to be able to do it. And maybe that would, you know, as I wanted to move more away from technical work, that didn't really make sense to to keep being me. And so that was the first role that I that was a step above or a step separately from, you know, not above in hierarchy, but just kind of one technical step deeper than doing the work is being able to review it for accuracy or give notes or feedback or give coaching to another person and make sure that they are picking up what you're putting down. So that was the next role that I started to try to hand off and and try to find other people who had enough skill set to be able to do it. But I think reimagining that role as being more of a coach and a guide than just QA. Um, Mm -hmm. That's been a little bit more in recent years as we've wanted to focus on developing the people, not just creating more process, although we have so much process, (laughs) so much process process for days, Um, (laughs) but really that a crew would be a place where someone could learn and grow in their own technical skill set that other people here were really invested in their growth, that, that we align with that value of being excited to learn and generous with our knowledge. And so having that lead role be some who's really that coach and mentor. I mean, how many places can you go that have formalized mentoring type programs? Like it's just, Mm -hmm. it's not just anywhere because most of us don't have the space or or capacity or bandwidth to even imagine doing something like that because we're too busy doing technical work. So that was the first iteration of this role. And I think a lot of that came from my husband works in IT and he is an expert technician, like nerd amongst nerds. Um, (laughs) But in different times, you know, he's talked about how sometimes people will come in as managers or even himself and his desire to be or not be a manager, really challenging that idea that there should be an expert technician path that isn't necessarily management, but is still opportunity. 
And I think it's also in a way dignifying management as not just mm. being a perk, as not just being like the only next elevation, but as being a role that matters and that people should want to develop their unique skill set and in the same way that we would want to develop a technical skill set as an expert technician. I think we just tend to think, well, manager, yeah, that's easy or whatever. It's like, not if you want to be good, not if you want to be effective, <laughs> it's not. It's easy to have that title if you get promoted to it. It's not easy to be effective at it. And so many of us have stories about terrible ones. And so really seeing that as a role and a path you should want to pursue, but also having other opportunities for advancement if you don't want to pursue that. I think that was really the start of, of some of this for us. But we have definitely grown beyond just that one particular avenue. I'll just lay out really quickly, like full circle moment, because we are currently developing one of our team members, one of our most senior team members into a lead bookkeeper role. She's been at the company for a long time, even before we were a crew. Like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty gnarly how long she's been here. And because of the direct development that she received from you through the years in how to meet those clients' needs and how to do more and more complex work and even how to do meetings with clients and advisory services and much more complex accounting knowledge that she's accrued from just her direct relationship and, and menteeship with you, like your mentorship of her has developed her skill set such that she has historically up to this point really worked on some of our most complex clients and is now training into a role where she's going to mentor other people and make them better bookkeepers. And it's just so fun. Oh, stupid. <laughs> it makes my heart so happy. It's, I know. Yeah. And and I'll say as the man as the primary manager at a crew, I really love that you value that management piece too, because it makes me feel like there is a specific skill set that I'm bringing to the table that the rest of the team can't necessarily. I, I think plenty of people on our team could definitely manage, but whether they want to or not is a different story and whether they have capacity to at this point in their lives. But I really appreciate that you segment those and value both differently because they are different skill sets and they're both necessary, but it's kind of magical thinking to think that they'll be the same person and hire an accounting manager. So we're just not going to think magically anymore. <laughs> yes. We, you, someone very wise likes to say reality is our friend. And so while we are entering the reality that the kind of person who has the technical expertise and wants to be a manager is is a unicorn at best. How do we develop people to lead and not necessarily manage? Mm -hmm. And that is a really interesting distinction because yeah. I think there's a lot of clarity that's needed about this is what it entails, this is what it doesn't. So someone who is a lead bookkeeper uh, on our team is going to give direct feedback about work, is going to give you know some coaching and mentorship, but they're not necessarily going to sit an employee down and give them some like direct feedback about how they're showing up at a meeting. And they're not mm -hmm. necessarily going to say, no, you can't take that vacation because it's January or, you know, they're not going to do some of the things that 
as a leader could make sense, but that's not really their role as a manager. So I do want to stress that if you are building tiers of leadership, there needs to be that super clear distinction of this is the kind of thing you're responsible for. This is the kind of thing that would go to their manager. So so that if a, you know, if a team member is asking a question that can get redirected to the right person and you don't have toes getting stepped on, I think the clarity it up at the front door is a lot more helpful than apologizing a lot later because you didn't know you were doing it wrong. And I think one of the main benefits of having people in leadership, more people more broadly in leadership and at different kinds of functions is that you get to not just benefit that one person's area of, of, um, influence, but it expands it so much broader. So if you have an account manager, a bookkeeper, for example, who works with clients, but that person is really awesome at developing other people and could totally train and equip and coach and do all the things that would actually take their skills and multiply them, it becomes an infinitely better investment as a company. And it means that that person's skill set is valued and they can distribute those skills so much more broadly to people who could totally benefit from them. And the person developing you isn't your boss, which means that you can hear that feedback. It means that you, the employees can hear the feedback. They can hear the input. They can hear the coaching in a totally different mindset than if I, as their direct supervisor, am going, hey, here's my feedback for you. It feels different. It feels totally different when it's a peer or someone who's in a role that's different from yours, but isn't necessarily managing you. It just feels different to get that input because it is different. But the input is the key. It's not about who's giving it as much as what you need to hear. And if it's easier for you to hear that from someone who isn't your manager, like, why would we stop ourselves from doing that? Well, I actually have some thoughts about why we would stop ourselves from doing Ooh. that. I think sometimes we as business owners like to be in control. Uh, you may have <laughs> noticed uh, no. that we, we like right. to that. And as, as accountant business owners, we also love being the smartest person in the room. Nothing more fun than that. <laughs> it's also really challenging to stop yourself from correcting someone that you are empowering to lead while they're saying something that you don't agree with which is also a great way to make them not want to be a leader if you make them look incompetent because you're always correcting them. There is some, you know, space that must be made for other people to rise, which yes. means you can't always be the hero of the story. Yeah. You have to leave space for other people to be the smartest person in the room, for other people to say things that you might not even necessarily agree with, but also you could be wrong. So mm -hmm. it there's a lot of challenging yourself of, if I'm not empowering leaders, why am I not empowering leaders? Why am mm -hmm. I not seeing areas in which I could leave room for someone else to grow and rise and, and equip others. And it tends to be that kind of scarcity. Like they might not do it like I do. They might not do it as good as me. You know, they might not, um, they might not stay. They might learn all these skill sets and then leave and go take Ooh, them somewhere else, that's you cool. know? And so, 
there is some almost as dumb as it sounds almost some courage in being mm. willing to open the door for other team members to develop that leadership skill set because mm. it's going to mean that in some areas you become less essential and some of us get off on being a little bit essential uh, <laughs> and, and 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 then if you're not so essential oh my gosh what would you do with all that free time and brain space maybe yeah. being a more effective leader uh but who knows we'll see I think to your point, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this kind of idea when it comes to like planning out my work. And it's really easy to do things like check messages or do the things that give me that instant dopamine hit of like, I did it, but aren't actually the most critical. And so I think one of the pitfalls of leadership when you are hesitant to bring other people in, particularly people who actually are CEOs or owners or COOs, but like that vision casting is too important not to do, but it is so easy not to do it. If you feel like everything else you're doing is more urgent and more important because it gives you that dopamine hit of like finishing it. So if, if you are like, I have so much work to do, I couldn't possibly pass it off, but the work you're doing is something someone else could do that is preventing you from doing the things that you ought to do. And and coming to terms with that is challenging in leadership because if it feels good to feel essential sometimes. Yes. Well, and it feels good to do the thing that's right in front of you that you can yes. easily check off and measure. It feels yeah. really good to put out the fire that's immediately in front of you. But this is the kind of work that is important, not urgent. It's the kind of work that for accounting terms, it's working in your balance sheet, not on your profit and loss statement. It's making the investments in your business that will pay off in the future versus always working on the thing that is short-term gain, no long-term benefit. And yeah. so this is the kind of work that we have to make space for when mm -hmm. it feels like we have no space for it because yeah. we never will have space if we don't make the space yeah. which is very counterintuitive because it seems like i have too much work to do to be able to do more work and it's like no you have too much work to do to not do this kind of work yeah, absolutely. And I, I think from, you know, we've talked about this a good amount, like you feel different as a CEO when you have the space to do that, not just because you're less stressed or because you have less to do, you actually have more to do when it's more important and less urgent, but like way bigger picture. And it can be hard for you to choose that. But I can say on the receiving end of your vision casting, I feel more confident about what I'm doing in management, in, in, you know, my operations roles when I know where you want us to be heading. It is so relieving to have that vision cast. And I think it's easy to convince ourselves that that's actually not that helpful because then our team will be like, oh my gosh, new direction or new information or, or like, how could we possibly, but it is the thing that actually provides me on the receiving end with relief because I know that I am doing what I ought to be doing when I know where you want us to go. And I can, and you're such a good galvanizer. And so you're able to get everyone excited and on board with it, which makes it really easy to cast vision and have everyone come along with you, which I think is one of your superpowers, but it's not fair because no one else does that like that. It's pretty impressive. 
But that's also happens to be, turns out, the kind of work that brings me the most joy and energy and the work that feels like real work, the technical mm -hmm. work, the stuff that's going to go out to a client that would be very easy to, to prioritize is actually not the work that brings me joy and energy. So as an accountant, I feel like the worst accountant because I don't actually want to do accounting. Um, but... <laughs> As a firm owner, it, it's actually super helpful that I don't want to do accounting because that's not the most valuable contribution that I can make. And as we talked about in our, our leadership retreat episode, it's easy to cast the vision when there is a leadership team that is going to discern that vision and, and collaborate on it. And then we're agreeing together that that's where we're headed. In the past, it's mm -hmm. been, hey, guys, I think we should go this way. And no one really had any input. No one had any say. And they might not necessarily be weighing into that. And then that's me way ahead and no one's following me. And so it's much easier to cast the vision when it's collaborative and when mm -hmm. I know that at the end of that, we're all agreeing together that that's the vision. And how this all ties into this idea of building leadership in your company is the only way that we have space to do that kind of work is if we're distributing the responsibility of the other day-to-day -day kind of work. And as your firm grows, there will be more different kinds of work. When I first started, I wasn't worried about sales. I wasn't worried about mm -hmm. marketing. I definitely wasn't worried about HR. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that was something you should worry about. Uh, and I was not. As early as possible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so as your, as your firm grows, there are going to be a lot more things that not only are more important than they used to be, but also you may not have the right skill set to do. And yes. as we've opened up these opportunities for other people to contribute in meaningful ways to really owning some of these domains, it has been so relieving to me to know that I'm not dropping the ball on things that I'm not good at, that yes. I'm effectively leading by getting someone who's good at that thing to come in and own doing that thing well, uh, yeah. because I would suck at it if I was responsible for it. So, well, and, and the phrase that we like to use in this conversation is this is too important to be done poorly by me. It yes. may feel good for me to be responsible for something that feels important, but if I'm going to be garbage at it, should I be? Like, should I be responsible for that? Probably not. So it it's too important to be done poorly by me is such a helpful phrase because it gives you permission to, one, stink at things, and two, to ask for help or support or, you know, another person to step in and add where you can't, which means that you start building complementary teams, like complementary with an E, not an I. The, the idea of like people balancing each other out. And I think we're a good example on a micro level because I add a lot of that discernment to your vision casting. And so you can cast vision and I can go, oh, don't think that's right. Don't think that's aligned with not this. that or, way. Yeah. <laughs> or like maybe a tweak of this, or we can like, you know, you can sounding board with me and we can end at a better answer about direction. 
But the game changer comes when it's not just two people in the room. That starts to expand to, and not just people, but roles. So some of the first roles, you know, we we started with lead bookkeepers or those reviewers, which is a, a really wonderful starting place for this because it gave a lot of opportunity to people um, who had a lot of skill set that just was helpful for us in getting things moving in the right direction, technically. And then we we quickly, well, not quickly, that was a, a few years. After I joined, I don't know, what year did we add sales external or an, another person doing sales besides the owner CEO? I want to say it started maybe late 2020, mm. something like that, uh, yeah. where we started to have the idea of, you know, somebody else doing sales and we realized, and so this may be helpful for other people that we wanted it to be a bookkeeper who could do sales because we wanted them to deeply understand what we were doing. So they knew what they were selling. And I think we could experience the value of it <laughs> at some point, like you go somewhere and the salesperson is talking to you and they clearly don't know what they're talking about. And you're instantly like, ugh, to you. And also like, how great is this thing if you didn't even bother to understand it? So maybe I don't want it. And so we really wanted a technician both that they could understand and sound competent. And also I wanted someone who does this work so they would understand what bringing on a sucky client would look and feel like if they mm -hmm. were the recipient, because maybe you're going to be the bookkeeper for that sucky client you brought on. And not That's sucky on like they're a garbage person, but just a poor fit for us. You know, mm -hmm. that we're misaligned in values or expectations or they're not in the right industry. We don't have the knowledge we need to serve them well. You know, whatever the thing, they never respond to us. Like wh whatever the thing that- can't use. <laughs> I mean, yes. all kinds of things. Yes. Getting past the anybody, everybody, please give me money phase and into the <laughs> let's be a little more intentional with the clients we bring on than having someone who has worked with clients and can empathize with that and think about that as they're talking to potential clients. I think that was, that was the next place we brought in some leadership that wasn't a manager that wasn't mm -hmm. that wasn't even necessarily like leading the sales department mm -mm. but just was leading in their particular role of of being able to go and do sales solo without me which is amazing but yeah <laughs> it's like a dream it's a game changer <laughs> yeah Modern bookkeeping firms have a pretty robust tech stack between workflow management, communication, file storage, client apps, and of course, QuickBooks, getting the month end close done can be a lot. Keeper wants to help you streamline the process and get it done in one place. By connecting your client's QuickBooks or Zero file to Keeper, you've got a powerful monthly review feature designed to help track inconsistencies, surface transactions that might not have gone to the right place, review for new payees or accounts, and a lot more. We use Keeper at Accrue, and I personally love being able to review the P&L and balance sheet across months by payee, so I can easily see if something is missing or if there's something we may need to ask a client about. And to be honest, I feel like we are only scratching the surface of what all Keeper can do. To learn more about why Keeper is trusted by thousands of bookkeepers and accountants like us, check out keeper.app. 
And hang on to your calculators, folks, because we are happily offering you 20% off your first three months with Keeper. Just use the code GOOD20. That's G O O D 20. Next, after that, in the last couple of years, we have added the role of crew lead, which, you know, our name, our firm's name is a crew. It's a great play on words. Yeah. (laughs) Stupid. Um, (laughs) But we have crew leads because we have our team in crews because you get to a certain size and everyone can't be in the same room and have a productive conversation about asking for help or, or getting support or collaborating about stuff. So we have, you know, broken out our team into teams of about, uh, five or six for crews. And in doing that, we uh, at the same time created the crew lead position. Anna, you came up with the idea of crew leads. How how did that come about? Yeah, I it was some personal conversations about how over-indexed I was by people that love me and will tell me the truth and will tell me that they would like a little bit more of me being less burnt out. And so maybe something could change there that that would make that uh, a better experience for them. So I started to think about, okay, what can we do differently? I mean, there's Jill and I, and that's great. And that's been a game changer. That's so different. We're such a different company than when, than when you started. But even that wasn't enough What Mm -hmm. we needed was more distributed responsibility so that every problem wasn't you or me. And typically both of us. us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Typically sent to both of us and then just whoever happens to answer it first. And so we realized we we both wanted that. And also Mm -hmm. the idea of creating a little bit more connection, a little bit more community, a little bit more yeah. of a, a sense of, yes, I'm on a remote team, but I'm on a team. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of segmenting into crews and having a lead that was not their manager and that was not that lead bookkeeper. So it's not their technical reviewer and it's not their direct supervisor. It's just a team lead that's there to lead a weekly team meeting to, to help everyone hold themselves accountable and to also just have some nice connection time with one another. And that's a, an interesting growth and leadership opportunity for our team members who ultimately those crew leads also took over doing a monthly one-to-one meeting with any of the team members in their crew. So rather than Jill as their direct supervisor doing a one-to-one meeting with every single team member who was uh, under you, we distributed that to be just everyone just doing a couple of them because it's just the people in your crew. And that also being more of a peer and being more about Mm -hmm. checking in personally and helping you with your development goals. That feels different when it's not your manager asking if you've done any training in the last month. Yes, totally. Are you even trying to be here? Do you even (laughs) want to be? Yeah, that's not what the conversation looked like. So that piece of it as well, and and then creating some training for them and some some guidance for them, and then some collaboration for them as well with one another, so that they could also learn from one another and kind of have some of that team building of the crew leads. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, and each one of our crew leads brings something different to the table. And so they, yeah, that proximal learning is so easy when you've got people who are operating at that level together and learning together and figuring out how to do this mentorship without it bleeding into management. Yeah. Yes. I also think it's so, we've created a very specific culture to where it feels totally genuine uh, because we didn't tell them to do this, that of their own volition, those crew leads were like, but could we have like a fun icebreaker each week that we like yeah. ask people or a trivia question or something that's just like this sort of team building thing, but isn't the force fun that Jill hates because uh, it's not a directive from us. Well, that's the moment that I realized it was working was when they did forced fun, but in a way that felt organic. And I was like, oh, I could not have possibly done this. <laughs> <laughs> but you're so good at forced fun, Jill. You love it <laughs> so much. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and so that I think was the moment when I realized that they were owning their role because mm. they were contributing to it. They didn't yeah. just say, fine, I will fulfill these expectations because you've set them. It's like, but, but could I make it a little bit my own in this way? Like, mm. would you guys be cool if I did it like this or like that? You know, like, what do you think about this? And they approach it collaboratively, but still with this, like, taking ownership of it being their responsibility to lead their crew and even clarifying for them, you know, what a crew lead was and what it wasn't, what their mm -hmm. responsibility was in guiding team members versus when they should be pointing them towards management, you know, and then kind of even the way to let a team member know that isn't meeting expectations, how they're going to do that. Like the phrasing of, um, I'm going to let ops know that you'll be reaching out. Yeah. Like, then you're not narking on them. <laughs> yeah. I'm not narking. I'm telling you that I'm going to let them know you're reaching out because you're the one that will be reaching out if yes. you're not meeting some expectation or if you need help or if you need a, a deadline adjustment or, or whatever that is, that's not going to be a crew lead approving that. But even just that, like, hey, I'm going to let them know you're reaching out about it. It keeps that, you on the same team. Yes. And yeah. it's that, like, you're going to be held accountable, but I'm not narking on you. I'm still for you. I'm on your side. And also, this is this is a thing we're doing. Yeah. Well, and it helps that universally we we do work in a way that allows and empowers the team to take responsibility for themselves. And if you can't do that, if you can't narc on yourself, no one's narking on you, but you're not going to keep working here. Because if you can't pull your weight and you can't communicate when you're not pulling your weight in advance, you literally cannot work here. It won't work. It's a remote environment. We have flexible schedules. It's a totally different ball game. And so if you think that's going to function, I think you might be in the wrong room. You might be at the wrong company. Yes, I think that's right. And I think that's why it's so obvious that there are so many team members here that can take on more responsibility and more yeah. leadership because responsibility is an essential quality of working here, no matter what your role is. Totally. So we just hire the kinds of people that take high personal responsibility 
So then when they're offered other opportunities for leadership, they take ownership of those things, especially when it's something that they really care about, when Mm -hmm. it's something that deeply resonates to them. And so as we have about, as we've added lead bookkeeper, as we've added crew leads, we've also added um, space in marketing. We have someone designated for HR. We have someone that's working in operations. Like we have someone who's owning projects. We have, we've added these other domains in which people can have leadership and, and ownership of them. But I think that essential quality that of personal responsibility is a non-negotiable period. But I think it's also us caring about and knowing that unique individual human being and what type of leadership path, what type of opportunity or growth would most resonate with them. Because if you give someone an opportunity they're excited about, they're going to crush it in a way that someone who's willing to do it will never do. Totally. That's exactly right. I think to your point, like the it's important that you're excited about the opportunity it's more important that no is an option we're not telling you that this is what your next job is and you're taking it or you can hit the road we're telling you this is an opportunity that exists and we think you're a great fit for it think about it like let us know what you think and typically we hit the nail on the head. I think we had an annual review yesterday where we were just talking about like, oh yeah, that one. Oh, maybe it was last week, but like- Oh, it was last hey, week. We- we're like, we're thinking about this for you. And and the team member was like, I was thinking about that for me. And it was like, yay. Perfect. <laughs> and it's surprising how often that happens when you treat people like individuals and you don't see the need first, you see the human first because the need's there. It's going to be there no matter what. But even if that human fills that need, if they're not passionate about it, they won't fill it for long. They'll be looking for other jobs as soon as they feel like it. Or they'll be looking for an opportunity to reduce their workload. Or like it's not going to function if people are not in line with what they want to be doing and the opportunity matches that. It's not going to function. And so I think yeah. there's there's multiple parts of that. It's the responsibility. It's also that desire. Also knowing that person, which requires you to have the space to know and and talk to and develop and be interested in your team, which means you can't be so oversubscribed in the, the real work, quote unquote, yes. that has to get done that you don't have any time and space to develop the human beings. And so I think that is such a key piece of this leadership mm-hmm. opportunity is that if you aren't developing leaders, you will be too oversubscribed to even possibly develop leaders. And when you try to, you won't do it effectively because you almost certainly will put people in the wrong seats because you haven't taken the time to know them, what they're looking for, what they're good at, what they're mm-hmm. not as great at, You know where they would both provide the most value and get the most fulfillment that takes time. And so if you're so like overwhelmed by just running your firm, you won't have the time to do the things that make it so that you could stop being so overwhelmed. It's very infuriating. Um, but, (laughs) But I think it's that stepping back to go, what is most important? 
yes, I could do tons of things that would be urgent, but developing people to be able to replicate you or preferably be better than you yeah. in lots of other domains and developing the people who will then develop the next people. Mm -hmm. Like now that development is increased exponentially because yeah. it won't be you developing that next person. It'll be the person you developed developing the next person. Yeah. And, and they will do it in a way that's different than you. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to come to terms with that. Yes. But when you have the time and space to cast the vision of where we're all going, even mm -hmm. if they don't do it exactly how you would do it, we all know we're going in the same direction. We're all mm -hmm. headed in the same way. We've developed a culture we're aligned in. We've developed values that we all agree with and live out. And we're all understanding this is what's most important. This is the direction we're heading. And so we leave space for people to do it differently because at the end of the day, we're all headed in the same way. And there's space for each person to contribute in their own unique way. And sometimes it's better than you. So just, just want to keep hitting that. Sometimes it's better than you. So, yeah. And that's my favorite, to be honest. When I hand something off and someone does it better than me, I am thrilled about that because that means I absolutely should not have been the one responsible for that. And that ability to reframe that in that way takes time. It takes some patience with yourself because you will wrestle with feelings of inadequacy if other people are thriving. And yes. also, What's the goal we're actually trying to accomplish? Because if the goal is for me to be the smartest person in the room as the CEO or as the owner, or as the COO or the expert technician or whatever you want to, like whoever that person is, if the goal is for you to be the smartest person in the room, it's going to be hard to find people to come along with you on that vision. If your goal is actually to accomplish the goals that you've set forth, the vision that you've cast, then you need to continually reframe that for yourself as if I'm trying to work less, I must be less essential. If I'm trying to be less essential, I must stop answering questions and start asking them. If I want to be less essential, I have to change the way that I'm doing things so that other people know that I want them to thrive, so that I am encouraging asking questions and being curious and taking on more instead of disincentivizing it. Because I think on accident, so often we disincentivize it just in our response. So if someone wants to take on responsibility, but it threatens my ego and I react instead of responding and I don't react great that person's not going to offer that again in that realm or another one. So like I've already lost some trust that I will actually hear them and respect what they're saying and want to put them in a position where they can have some ownership in a sphere in our business. It's too important to validate it. But on the flip side of that, it's not just that there's a hole or a gap that needs to be filled and here's a person who can fill it. It is about finding people who are highly responsible for it and who can do that kind of work. Some of the yes. mistakes we've made before is just putting someone in the role who wanted it but couldn't actually do it or someone who could do it and didn't actually want it. And we run into yes. so many issues when that's the case. Yes. Or that we've 
seen the potential in someone and said, you could do all of these things. And now we've kind of promised that instead of vetting that they actually could do all of these things. Yeah. And so even in the way we offer opportunities now, it's much more like we're going to offer it and, and validate. We're going to offer a bit and validate. We're going to see how it goes and here's how we're going to support you. But I yeah. think it, the other thing about offering opportunities for leadership that I'm really trying to give more space for is what happens when someone who who is taking responsibility for something off of your plate, who is taking ownership for something, makes a mistake, drops the ball Yo. when they don't do it well. Are you going to swoop in and fix it for them? Or are you yeah. going to actually allow them to own it? Because to be honest, so much of the stuff that I know is from the mistakes that I've made yes. that I learned from and went, not that again, don't yeah. do that one. And so if I'm always just trying to prevent anyone else from making mistakes, then I'm not allowing them the, the space to learn how to do things, the space to learn how to make a mistake and pull yourself back up, how to Yo. own a mistake and make it right. And so that really is what ownership is. Yeah. It's not just the responsibility when you're doing it well. It's the responsibility when you drop the ball totally. and, and how you pull back up from that. And the learning that you can gain from that is too essential. You are robbing people of the opportunity to gain new skills, to gain more resiliency, to learn those tools, and to figure out how to navigate life knowing mistakes are inevitable. That's the thing that is is so confusing to me about most workplaces is that it's almost as though we as a society have agreed that mistakes are not inevitable. And then when they happen, we're horribly upset about it. And it's just such a, like you're, you will always be disappointed if that's how you're approaching business. Mistakes will happen. How you respond to them makes all the difference for whether or not your clients trust you and whether or not your team trusts you. If you can yeah. receive a mistake with openness, with compassion, but also a solution orientation and say, okay, here we are. Reality is our friend. What are we going to do about it? And then we're going to come up with a solution together. And maybe you don't have the skill of coming up with those ideas, but I'm not just going to fix it for you because then I rob you of the opportunity to learn how to fix it for yourself. And that learning and that knowledge is invaluable. And so one of the things that I feel really grateful for in working here is the freedom to make mistakes. I don't like it. I don't like when it happens. I hate it so much. It makes me want to cry in a bathtub. Um, <laughs> but it is so good for me. It's so good for my soul. It's so good for my leadership skills. And it's the thing that makes me trust that when I need help, I can ask for it. When I make a mistake, I can come to you. And it will be received with not just like a glossing over, there's no ruinous empathy happening, but with compassion, knowing that, you know, I feel garbage. We don't need to pile on to that. Let's pivot. Let's focus on how we're going to move forward. And then let's figure out what we need to do going down the road to make sure that we're not doing that again. And honestly, most of the time when you let someone make that mistake and fall, they will figure out how to make sure that does not happen again. But if they never fall, they never get to. It's not even have to, they never get to. Yes. 
And I think that's the same with with even just problems arising, not not even necessarily that it's a mistake that you made, but just that a situation comes up, you know, if someone is leaning into ownership, into leadership, then it can't be, well, but something's not going right. So I'm going to shove that problem over to you. And I think as leaders, we're so used to being the recipient of problems that we just fix. Um, without even thinking about it. Yeah, it's just default. Yeah, just like, oh, it's a problem. It must be my responsibility to solve it. If someone is stepping into leadership, oh, that's a problem. That's your responsibility to solve it. What can I do to support you in you solving it? Yeah, yeah. That is completely different. Yes, totally, totally. Well, and I I think that really highlights the difference between leadership and management. Leadership is so much more about guiding and directing and and telling people, hey, this is what you need to do to be successful. This is what accomplishing the goals we're trying to accomplish look like. This is what being an expert technician looks like, or this is what being an approachable expert to your clients looks like. And it's just pointing them in the direction and saying, hey, there's your target try again, like give, give this another go. And management is so much more about having those hard conversations and making those decisions and making big picture decisions and casting vision and trying to make that vision a reality. And it's so much less about, well, it's also guiding and directing like both like in, in our management kind of philosophy, it's both, but in leadership, you don't have to have the hard conversations. And that was the like mindset shift for us that allowed us to think much more broadly about what dispersing some of this responsibility could look like and could feel like as well. So yeah, it's it's a total game changer to think, wait, everyone doesn't have to be able to make big picture decisions for our company. Everyone doesn't need to be able to have hard conversations or give really direct feedback to someone, but we do need more than two people to lead to guide, to coach, to point in the right direction. And we just can't keep banging our head against a wall of scale without just thinking about it differently. So this this mindset shift was huge for us. For me in particular, because of how much it freed me up to be able to do much higher level work than just trying to figure out how to make sure everyone had what they needed. Well, I'm actually, I'm going to poke it. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to overshare. I'm curious when I came to you with the idea of crew leads and the idea of taking some of the responsibility off of your plate. Really? Was that, uh, (laughs) sorry, what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it was relief, but also was there any fear that if we took all of these things off of your plate, maybe you wouldn't be valuable enough or important enough, or maybe your role mm-hmm. like wasn't as clear then. Like, I, I think for, for myself as well, like, well, but if I'm not doing all these things, then what am I doing? Yeah. Who even um, am I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, especially for me, because these conversations, those one-to-ones were one of my only personal touch points with the team. So there was a ton of rapport being built there. And then, you know, it's in my wheelhouse. It's my skill set to show up to a meeting and coach and develop other people and to ask critical questions and to try to think about things differently and get people to come along with me in that journey and that thought experiment. And like, I really thrive in that environment. And yet, if I am doing that poorly, because I have too many people to do that with or too many meetings to show up in that way. And so I'm kind of letting everyone down. 
it ceases. I, I can keep it about me and keep being concerned right. about that, or I can just let that go and say, I need help. I need support. I need more voices in the room. I need more support because I can't keep doing this poorly. Someone yes. else, and it's not that someone else could do it better because I can't do it well. I can do it well. That was one of the hardest things was like, I'm actually really good at this and it's really rewarding to do this. And giving it up means a little bit of cost to me. And also I have to do that analysis of cost benefit. I have to analyze, okay, so it's going to cost me some emotional cost of not feeling as valuable, not feeling as connected, not feeling as important in the development of our team. But the benefit in time and my ability to more deeply develop the people in leadership at the company expanded exponentially. And so that I chose to focus on. The relief I received from being able to disperse that responsibility more broadly and then to focus my development in areas where I could actually make an impact in a positive way instead of just trying to keep my ego where I want it. My ego is not more important than the team's development. And so if my ego is holding that back, I need to do something different. And so it was it was an easy decision. It didn't take long for me to do that. But it, there are feelings. There's always going to be feelings. I'm feeling I'm I we've been doing crew leads for years. My responsibilities are starting to shift just because of some, you know, big picture decisions that we're making. And it's hard. I'm wrestling through all of that. And it's it's uncomfortable to feel like the ways in which I have historically added value are no longer the ways that I will continue adding value. And I'm going to have to come to terms with that. I'm going to have to figure out what I think and feel about that. And then I'm going to either have to get on board or no is always an option. <laughs> but no, it's not, not wanna, for you. Not for me, no. <laughs> no, it is though. That's the thing. It is, it is. It is. HR might be listening. It is no. an option for her. <laughs> it is because when I say yes, you know I mean it. If no yes. wasn't an option, if if you're the kind of company where no is not an option, when people say yes, you cannot believe them. Right. You they will say the yes, yes to your face and they will not actually be invested or committed. And I think that is so much of the dysfunction that mm -hmm. that firms experience is when opportunities are not an option, when like mm -hmm. work distributed to you is not an option. Someone will say yes yeah. to your face and it will not be a real yes. Mm -hmm. And so I love that no is an option. Even for you, it is an option. Um, <laughs> My yes but, is so much more meaningful when no is an option. <laughs> yes. But I, I think it's the idea of sacrificing the best for the good. It's, it yeah. is in some ways, if you are not to attach to your ego, it it is in some ways easier to delegate something that someone else is better than you at because you can see the immediate value of, oh, you're great at this or you really enjoy it and I don't have to do it and I suck at it. When it's something you're really good at and you're handing it off to someone who even may not be as good as you at it, that's where the rubber meets the road of, am I going to be an effective leader or am I going to prioritize myself and what makes me feel good? Because leadership is about giving space and, and room and development and also encouraging and empowering others to rise. Yeah. So if it's just about you staying where you're at with everyone below you, 
you will not be as effective of a leader as someone who wants to give room for others to rise potentially even above them, which is why I love one of the things we talk about is like, if no one's going to necessarily stay here forever, like, Mm -hmm. Except you. Um, but except ne- you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a career thing. Don't worry. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, um, <laughs> you can't leave. But if they go, we want them to be better for the time they spent here. Even if and they didn't even make it through onboarding. <laughs> like, if they yes. didn't make it through onboarding. We'd love people to stay longer than that. Um, yeah. But we want them to be better for the time they spent here. We want other accounting firms to be better for having someone who ever worked here. We want other firms to start because someone worked here and learned Mm. great stuff and wants to go start their own firm. Like if we're really in this to make the game better and not just make ourselves feel good, Mm -hmm. like this is that kind of infinite abundance mindset versus the scarcity of what I can control today. All right. So Key takeaways here. Your primary role as a leader should be to foster more leadership in your company. It will help you go further and usually faster than you could ever possibly go alone. And it will be some of the most rewarding and fulfilling work that you do. And in order to add the kind of value that you ought to be adding as a leader in that sort of big picture planning, you have to free up time and mental space by developing leadership to own these other domains of your company and and to give you more space to think about where you're heading so that you can cast that vision and distribute it to your leaders and you get to keep doing that over and over. It's so much fun. It is so much more fun to do it together than to be the hero of the story alone. So Mm -hmm. developing leaders in your company will make you a better leader and will make your company a better company. Thanks for joining us. We hope you'll keep tuning in as we share how we are building a firm worth building. It's going to be good. 